In Mark the ninth chapter, I just want to talk about a story that in Christ's life I studied on this two, two or three months ago and, and uh, moved on past that. But uh, when sister called me this morning, said the pastor wasn't feeling well, uh, I thought, well, I can wrestle up a little something that might encourage us. And in Mark 9, 32, it says, uh, or 33, I'm sorry, did I say 33? 33. Should be 33 to 37, just four verses here. No, yeah, 33. He came to Capernaum, that where we're at? Yes. We came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, what was it that you disputed among yourselves by the way? But they held their peace, colon. For by the way, they had disputed amongst themselves who should be the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve and saith unto them, If any man desire to be the first, the same shall be the last of all, and a servant of all. And he took a child and set it in the midst of them, and when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receiveth me, and whoso shall receive me receiveth not me, but him that sent me. Now Jesus taught that, of course, and you see by the philpot, they call it, I guess is the word they use, that there's a, another Paragraph, another change in time, another story starting in verse 38. And we're not going that far. We'll hopefully get through these four verses this morning. But here he comes to Capernaum. So now we know where he was at. You know where Capernaum is? The Capernaum is on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. So he's not even in Judah, which is where Jerusalem is. He's about 90 miles north of that or so as the crow flies. Um, it may be a rugged territory and hard to get through there, but he's in Capernaum. Uh, actually, that's a, probably a place where a lot of rough things are happening nowadays in uh, 2021, but he was there, and so we know where he was physically at this particular time. And it says, being in the house. The word the, did you ever... Sometimes we fly over that, as Brother Scott would say, but it's the house, it says in the scripture. So it must have been a certain house. What made it the house, if you would? Not just that he was in Capernaum, not that he was just on the north side of the Sea of Galilee or whatever, but if it's the house, it means that there's something important about this particular house. Now, we don't know what that is. But I bet you, the Holy Spirit knows, and I bet Jesus knew about the house. I bet his followers knew about the house. Had Jesus went on headed towards the house and they traveled kicking stones and walking, looking down and sad and you know, complacent, not really paying any, kind of, well, we know where he's going. He's going to the house. We know where that is. We don't have to hang on to his hem of his garment to make sure we get there. We don't have to hold hands to make sure we're at the right house at the right time. We know where it's at. We, we know how to get there. Wasn't no surprise when they got there. And so as they lingered, lagged back, drug their feet, just chewing the fat, they had something they wanted to dispute. Hmm. While they were disputing that, 
on their way to the house when they got there. Uh, who knows what kind of house they were talking about there. Um, I'm not so sure, but uh, what it couldn't have been, what we might even call the house of God. They even handed to a, a certain house where the people in that day and time, and it was in Begin's father's home, they held church in that house from time to time. They did it in houses back then because they didn't have great cathedrals. Or it may have been a temple or a synagogue or something uh, according to that, and it fell under, if you would, the house. We don't know where it was, but um, just that that house had been picked out or predestined, if you want to say, or predetermined that Jesus was going to be there and he was going to speak that day. Now, everywhere Jesus went, he had a following that he wanted to talk to. He had something to say, and they all wanted to hear it. So they followed him to the house, and uh, he went there with all of his followers following, and the, the crowd, they gathered at the location of the house. And uh, uh, let me just say this about it. Any house that Jesus was in was the house. It was the house of God. If he was there and teaching, you wanted to be there to hear that teaching because he had something important to say. And I remember what Sister White used to say. He was talking to her family. They'd went to a family reunion and her sisters, she was telling them, you need to get in church. You need to. Yeah, you know, she said, well, I don't know which church to get in. There's so many, I don't know which one to get in. And her advice to him was, find the best one you can find Get in it and make it better. If we would do that, we would make all the churches have meaning when we go there. Now that they were in the house, it's time for Jesus to speak up. You know what he says? He asks a question. Hmm. Maybe Jesus got there, and I know there are pastors that do this. They get to church on Thursday night, and they went out to eat first, took the family, picked up two or three people on the way to church to take them out to dinner and get to church. And then they get there and they go, huh, I left my Bible at home on the kitchen table. My notes are in it. You ain't got time to run home. It's two minutes to speak time. Maybe Jesus forgot his Bible, left it on the kitchen table with his notes and didn't know what in the world he was going to speak about that day. I don't know, just could have been. Amen. And I've known people that have done that. Amen. I even know a guy that was supposed to speak in men's breakfast yesterday. He had a three-by-five card on it with all of his scriptures and all these important points and went to the men's breakfast and left it on the kitchen table. But we had men's meeting anyway. You know, when I write it down, it helps me to remember. And now I got home and checked my notes. And guess what? I had remembered everything that was on that card just by writing it down and studying. So I really didn't need that. And maybe Jesus didn't have any notes either. But he's going to say, you know, time for me to speak. Let's see. What should I talk about today? I know what I'll talk about. Hey, you guys, what was you guys arguing about as we was coming to the house today? What was that you were? He knew exactly what they had been disputing. Oh, as if they, he didn't know. Uh, he maybe didn't think it was uh, all that cool what they were doing. But in verse 33, he says, and the question is, what was it ye disputed among yourselves by the way? As you were coming, 
What did you guys talk about? What was going on? Anything interesting? Was you talking about the current news? Was you talking about Ohio State winning again? What was the good points you guys were talking about as you came uh, to the house that we're here? Amen. And he asked them, what did you dispute along the way? As if he didn't know, you know. You know how Jesus does. He wants to put you on the spot, I guess, so to speak. Uh, he knew exactly what they were disputing on. And uh, so he asked them that question. And whatever, uh, whatever he was going to discuss or whatever he thought Jesus knew, there was no agreement on the subject that they had had. You know why? Because he asked them what they disputed about. If they'd have been talking about something they all agreed about, he would have said, what did you guys share together that you guys loved so much that was so interesting to you? That wasn't the question. What did you guys dispute? Huh? Dispute to me means like, huh, there must have been an argument. Amen? Kind of like uh, Teamsters and, and the auto workers and uh, the auto companies, they're disputing. Ah, yeah, just like a strike for the company and the union. Everyone thinks they're right, and no one is. So they dispute. No one gets what they want because they all look at it through selfish, prideful, greedy eyes. Everybody looks in the mirror and sees who they think's king. Amen? But that's not the way Jesus wanted to teach it. Jesus said, it's time you guys learned a lesson on what you were disputing along the way. Now, since his question fell on deaf ears, his question was, what did you dispute on? Their answer? There was no answer. Oh, it's as if they didn't even listen to him ask the question. So since it fell on deaf ears, they had nothing to answer him or nothing to say. Uh, verse 34, the Holy Spirit steps up and says, let me fill in the gap here between the question Jesus asked and the response he got from his followers. Verse 34 says, but they held their peace. Hmm, cat's got your tongue. Amen. That's exactly what they, what it seems to me like happened there. Uh, he wanted to know what they were disputing about. Well, what did they dispute about? Who's the greatest? Well, let's get into that just a little bit here, a little bit. It says, for by the way, they had disputed amongst themselves who should be the greatest. Well, I want you to notice in there, if you're, I'm reading it from a King James. I know Brother Scott uses a different version. All you got to do on your phones is at the top, just hit NIV and then put in KJV and you'll have the same thing. It's, yeah, it happens about that fast, so it'll all work out. But uh, it says in the King James, when he talks about that, who should be, that word should be is in italics. Now, I don't know what the NIV says. I didn't have time to study it and look it up. But who's the greatest is what they were uh, looking at at that. And the should be was added by the translators. That's why it's in italics. It's not there in the original writings. And anybody that translated even the NIV or Amplified or anything else translation you're reading from, it may get put different words in there. But they should have uh, known that they were uh, disputing over who's the greatest. 
Everybody got it? Well, who is the greatest? The translators did their best to help us understand in a greater way what was being discussed, but sometimes you just need to stick with what God says. Amen? I can imagine the dispute that they had. Amen? So, after all, back in verse number one of that chapter, we didn't read it, but I'll tell you what it was about. Jesus was about to go to the Mount of Transfiguration. Guess what he did? He took Peter, James, and John with him. Only took three. He didn't take all 12. took three. And of course, you know, he went up and he was transfigured and he looked like he's white and pure and everything. And Moses and Elijah meet him there and they have a conference of their own there. Um, it must have been the state conference of Galilee where uh, they met on the hillside and got everything settled. And then Peter, he, of course, he speaks up. They want to build temple. And God shows up and says, hey, listen to Jesus. Dismiss all the rest of that. Well, on their way disputing to, to the house they were going to, maybe James and Peter and John said, you know what? We're better than those others. He picked us to go with him at the beginning of the chapter of course, they didn't say it that way, to go to the Mount of Transfiguration. We must be better than the rest. Huh. We got a facial invitation for that special occasion. How about that stuff? Well, I don't know if I would carry any water to that fire or not, but uh, that is not why he picked those three, and I want to ask him when I get to heaven if I really care about it once I'm there, but maybe they interpreted that Jesus was thinking that they were going to be somebody special. And so he's kind of preparing them to be something special. When he would call them out for that special event, the other eight, I can just see the other eight when they come back, Peter, James, and John sitting there, man, you guys missed it. You should have been there. I can't believe what I even saw. Ah, you, oh, you got, shame on you guys for not going. Yeah? Well, I don't know what, that, what was going on there, but I don't know. Maybe a little rabbit trail here, but I don't want you to know that Peter, James, and John all have epistles in your New Testament named after them. Huh. Did you know that? How many others do? Well, Paul's got 13, but he wasn't even in the group. So that's nothing to brag about, is it? Amen. But they all had their, if you would say, in uh, what's going on. What about Judas Iscariot? Wasn't he special? He was the treasurer. You know those treasurers, you got to watch them. You got to be able to make sure the books balance. And for Judas Iscariot to be the treasurer, he had some accountability that he had to stand up and be accountable for in a lot of things. Maybe he thought he should be the greatest. Now we got four of them with a reason. Maybe Matthias, he's pretty smart. He used to be a tax collector. He knew all the laws. He could probably straighten them all out, right? Uh, well, with all the dispute, the list of complaints and disputes that they could have went on and on for quite a while, yet none of them when Jesus said, what was you guys talking about on the way here? None of them peeped a word. Amen. I know you school teachers know when you're out of the room 
and you come back in the room after you go to the principal's office for whatever the principal called you up there for, you come back and the classroom is in total disarray and you say, all right, who did it? You're not going to get an answer. Nobody's going to rat on the one that did. Now, they didn't even rat on me when I did it. But that's the way those people seem to be. They knew they were wrong, but they didn't have an answer for what to say to make it seem like they had the best in heart for the things that are going forth. Amen. So while the cats got their tongue, Jesus says in verse 35 that uh, we sat down and he called the 12 unto him and he said, if, hmm, that's an interesting word. I think that's one of our four study words. If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of, last of all and servant of all. Now that you know what it takes to be first, how many of you want to be first? How many of you want to be the servant of the rest of you? Hmm? How many of you want to be last? Huh, that puts a different twist on the argument that they had. I, I, got a, I got a chuckle out of this as I was looking at that. And Jesus sat down. You all are sitting down and I'm the one that's standing up. The ones that were standing were the ones that were wrong and the ones that were sitting was the ones that was right. So I got a chuckle out of that. That's the way I always thought it in, when I was preaching. Now, because I have to stand, it's because I don't have a leg to stand on most of the time when we're disputing something. Amen. But to cut to the chase, Jesus made that statement that he made up to those disciples. If a man desires to be first, he shall be last and servant of all. When they added servant of all, that probably put a halt to everybody's desire that they had so burning in their heart on the way to Capernaum about being the greatest and all the reasons why they should have been the greatest. Uh, well, it didn't hold any water after that. They quickly withdrew their names from the hat that they was going to draw from to see who was the greatest. They just decided, I don't think I want to be a part of that group. Now, I can understand the silence in the house at that point. No one spoke up and said, but Jesus, you remember what I did? But Jesus, you used me to do this. But Jesus, I was... Huh? Nobody spoke up to say anything like that. He never even spoke up and said, I'm the best speaker and the best looking. Nobody said that. Amen. All the answers that the crowd would have given for who's the greatest are all based on pride or arrogance, and they knew better than to bring them forth in the face of Jesus as he taught in the house. Amen. But he decided, we'll settle it. So as he sat there, he took a child. Hmm, how old's a child? Anybody know what, how old a child is? I don't know. It could be months, weeks, years. I don't know how old a child is. He took a child, put him in the midst of him, right in front of all of them. Of course, being in the midst, 
meant this child was probably right in front of the seated Jesus and the crowd was surrounding Jesus. So that put him right in the middle of everything. Amen? A lot of the people uh, that wanted to hear Jesus speak had to get close because maybe they were deaf in one ear and had to get that ear turned that direction so they could hear. I know people are that way. So the ones that wanted to hear what Jesus had to say were probably crowding around, whether in front, left, right, back, as long as they were close enough to hear, that would have been good enough. And Jesus puts the little child, don't know how big that is, don't even know if it walked up on its own uh, uh, or whether he held it or said it. I don't know. He put the child in the midst of them and uh, probably right in the front of all the crowd that was around Jesus and what a great picture that is for all of us to see this little child that Jesus decides to use to make this pictorial event happen to all those that were in the room around him about who's the greatest. Amen? I can picture the bewildered child there not knowing what's going on, but he was willing to listen to Jesus because he knew who Jesus was. Everybody talked about Jesus. Why would this child even be in the house if he didn't feel safe about being there? Amen? That's why I come to church. I feel safe here. I like to listen when Jesus is speaking. And when he could have held out his arms to the child, the child could have took off running if he would have been afraid of him. What did he do? When he held out the arms. What happens when I put out a fist walking down the hall through here? Every one of them want a fist bump. Amen. And I do that. I probably fist bumped all of them six or seven times already. And I'm not done yet because we haven't dismissed yet. I'll get them again before they get out of the building. They love for somebody to pay attention to them. If it's a fist bump or if it's a high, if it's a pat on the back, if it's a hug, whatever it is, as long as you show love to them, that'll work. Call them by name. Everybody likes to hear their own name. Amen? So you call them by name, and they'll want to respond. Well, this little child, Jesus just held his arms out. He didn't even call his name. Doesn't sound like. Didn't say, hey, you, come here. I got some candy in my pocket. That's what Brother Beasler used to do. He'd go to church with a pocket full of candy so the kids would come around him. Amen? And he'd get... Pass it out. Yeah. So he didn't have anything like that. All he did was held out his arms. And you can see the young child, whatever age you want to attach to young child, make a beeline to get up in Jesus' lap and in his arms. Well, that's what the scripture says that he did. He took him up in his arms, the scripture says, and he said unto them, not to the child, the child already responded correctly. It's the audience around them that didn't respond very well to the subject of uh, being the greatest, if you would. So when he took him up, we see this picture before us of a crowd, how humiliated the crowd could have been when they should have been humbled in the thought of being used by Christ. Pride tries to enter in instead. So I know there's other teachings along this line of the scripture when Jesus used them and a lot of preachers preach this about the humility that was involved in this. Now it doesn't say 
he wanted to humble those followers or anything. In this, he did in other places. I'm using this one. And he didn't even bring in the humility, but you have to see this thing dripping with the teaching of humility and unity and love for one another that this young child had for Jesus Christ. Amen. With this picture before them and how humiliated <coughs> the crowd should have been had they uh, disputed this way and how they must have felt when that argument was going on instead of saying, boy, ain't I the greatest? They should have been saying, you know what? I need to serve. I need to be, if you would, just one of the crowd. Amen. A lot of people ask me, what's your position now that you've got a new pastor? I said, well, I'm still a pastor. I'm just a pastor in the shadows. That's what I tell them. I still do weddings, I still do funerals, I still do hospital visits and, and pray for people. You know, that's what a pastor does, but I just don't want to be up here where I'm at. All right, but uh, God can, can use us wherever we need to be, amen? So uh, had they been outclassed by this young child that was in Jesus' arms because he had a smile on their face while the rest of them was chewing their gritting their teeth he got us again we messed up again and look who the hero is that little kid I swear I'm going to wait till I get him after church I'll straighten him well they, you don't know what they were thinking but he just says here whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name amen he said you got to be servant of all you know what that means you have to even be servant to the children. Huh. Not just the ones that pay your paycheck. Not just the ones that will pat you on the back. You need to be servant to all. Amen? So you need to even do this for the children and do it in my name. That makes a difference. Amen? Don't do it because you think you're something special or you are on the top rung of the ladder, you do it in my name, Jesus said, and if you do it to them, you not only receive that child, you're going to be receiving me. Amen? That's important. You know, we got to do it the way Jesus would do it, not the way we think is best even. And whosoever shall receive me and be a servant for me, you're not doing it for me. You're doing it for the one that sent me for my heavenly father. Amen? You got to do it with God as the bottom line of the actions that you're doing. If you're doing it to be noticed, you're doing it for the wrong reason. If you're doing it to be number one on the list, it's the wrong reason. If you're doing it for any other reason but to glorify God, ain't nobody else going to pay any attention to you either. Amen? Nobody wants to see a big, proud, boastful somebody that thinks they know it all. Amen. Everybody wants to have a humble leader that's walking in the footsteps where Christ wants him to walk in glorifying his heavenly Father. Amen. I know it's a simple lesson. I know it didn't get very deep in the scriptures, and there's probably a lot more I could teach on on humility. Probably another time we'll get to that. Who knows? Maybe Brother Scott will bring it. Who knows? That may be one of the, uh, what's he calling them? Words of worship. Humility will be one of them, maybe. So when he gets to those, 
follow along, learn from him, whatever God has for us, we need to be like that little child in the arms of Christ, willing to smile, be happy, not wanting to argue, not wanting to cause trouble, not being the, the one that thinks they know it all, but being the young child that Jesus can use as an example of how it should be in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God everywhere throughout the New Testament around Jesus was centered on the fact that, why don't you just be like a child? Amen? You read into that whatever you want. Children love to play. Children love to laugh. Children love to get along. Amen? You know, even if you see two of them arguing with each other, I tell you what, stay out of it. Let them settle it. In 15 minutes, they'll be best buddies again. The only reason they would want to fight a second time is if the parents got involved. So you stay out of it, let them settle it, and just give them guidance that we should love one another and be smiling, happy people in the arms of God. Amen? Amen. And remember, Jesus never said it'd be easy, just worth it. Amen.